Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. In all seriousness, let me, let me just say, you know, just one thing, even as Audrey was saying, maybe we'll be moving around a lot and different things going on, but can we not eliminate the possibility that in the midst of all that God is doing and what he wants to do, that there might be some spiritual realm or things going on in the spiritual realm? What I mean that I don't want to sensationalize it. I don't want to kind of overlook some of these things as well, but just to think that maybe with everything that happened, I, I, I will have to also say this is one retreat I've been to. I've been to a good handful of retreats that so many different things happened that I'm just like, wow, we really got to pray for Pastor Dave. You know, what's going on here? But I, I was just thinking about this for a moment. I said, you know what? A lot of times when I experience things like this, I realize it's because God wants to do great things in our lives and in this church. And then sometimes Satan knows that what can happen when a church is on fire for the Lord. And sometimes he will do everything and anything to distract us. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited. It's a good sign in the spiritual realm that maybe there are things going on. Uh, and God is working and Satan is wanting to counter and discourage and distract. But maybe through all this, that God is going to do something wonderful and deposit it in our hearts. And I believe he's going to do that tonight. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Praise God. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. We're going to start from verse 3 and look all the way to verse 16, A, Alpha. And so far as Cameron was even mentioning, we've, we've been talking about this whole idea of being recharged and being recharged through our prayers. And that's one of the greatest ways to get our hearts back in the right place because we're depending on God. We cannot do anything on our own strength. And then we talked about being recharged through our worship. Just getting our eyes fixed on him, especially in the midst of so many things going on in our lives. That it's Jesus who's high and exalted, who deserves all our praise and all our worship. And that's how we're going to get recharged as we think about our lives and the things that we're going through. And so tonight, we're going to talk about being recharged through our mission. And what is our mission? And not just for Harvest Community Church, but what is our mission as a follower of Jesus Christ? And I pray that God will awaken something in us to remind us why we exist here on this earth. And that's why I wanted to start off as you probably hopefully turn to that passage by now. I wanted to start off with a question. I'm wondering how many of you have ever felt the strong sense of purpose in your life? It's it's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to raise your hand. But I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you have felt that in your life there is a strong sense of purpose? Let me reframe this question because oftentimes when we put it that way, sometimes it makes it a little bit harder to think through on a practical level. Let me reframe the question by simply saying, do you get up every single morning excited for the life that you have and the ability to do the very thing that God has called you to do? And I think if we're honest, many of us will say Monday morning is the worst. And we just don't want to get up. And we think to ourselves, oh, we have to go to work again. 
or we have to do this again. We have to prepare the food for the kids for their lunch again. And a lot of times you do this day after day, week after week, month after month, and you ask yourself, what is this purpose in my life? I think there's so many of us who feel unmotivated. And there are some of us who are losing uh, the sense of hope that we should have because of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And we know that doing the same thing over and over again, it just seems as if we're going insane. I think this is the reason why so many of us, we hate our jobs. We're not motivated because we don't see the purpose behind it besides making money and supporting our family. I think this is the reason why some of us who serve in the church, we forget about why we first volunteered. Why we decided to serve and take that next step. I think this is the reason why some of us, we don't like our situation and our circumstance that we're in right now. Because you don't see the good that could come out of that situation. Can I just pause here? And I don't know, I just feel this in my spirit. I want to share with you. I realize when I look at my life, and I want to still say it's a short life so far. But when I look at my life, some of the greatest moments came with some of the greatest pain. And the reason why I say that is there's something about going through pain and suffering and hardships and difficulties where you learn something more about God and more about yourself. And it goes so deep into your heart that it begins to shape you and mold you. And it's only in retrospect, when we look back, we realize, wow, those were some crazy times. But they were some of the best times of God bringing us closer to himself. So without a sense of purpose, We start to lose hope and we forget to live passionately and fully for the glory of God. If you know the why in the what you do, I think this is one of the most powerful things you will ever experience in your life. Let me say it again. If you know the why in what you do, it's a very powerful thing. I wanted to show you this quick video by Michael Jr. How many of you guys know the Christian comedian, uh, comedian Michael Jr.? If you don't know him, look him up. You know what I'm saying? He is hilarious. He's, he's really funny. I like him. I think it's my sense of humor. But anyway, he goes around the United States, around the world, and he does comedy shows. And it's clean, but it's hilarious. It's funny. And so one of the things he likes to do is to go around in these concerts, or not concerts, but the comedian, uh, comedy shows, And what he'll do is right around the halfway point, he would just talk with his audience. And then through that, he'll just kind of figure out what's going on and he would just kind of share his life. And it's a really great ministry that he does. And he went to this one place and he began to realize something as he was talking about the importance of purpose. And I want to show you this video because as you watch this, I want you to see, and it's clearly demonstrated why the purpose The why and what you do is very important than just doing the what. So let's, is it set up? Let's watch it together. I'm going to move over to the side here. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, The question that you really should ask is how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. 
if you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. <laughs> and in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of, like, uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That bro could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Uh, now, what you give me the version is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid, I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved like me Okay, um, here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. Amen. He's doing the same thing, singing. But once he understood the why... It was so powerful. I think we have a lot of people in this world who have no clue of their why or their purpose in life. And I'm not just talking about those who are pre-Christians or who don't know Christ. I'm talking about people in the church. But once you discover it, 
it will transform your life. You'll start living more passionately. Your life will be more focused. You'll stop making things all about yourself and make it more about things that are beyond you. As a Christ follower, I'm just wondering, then what are we called to do? According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This, this is our destiny, to enjoy God and to glorify him forever. Therefore, it doesn't matter so much of what you do. But what really matters is why you do it. To enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. So you can be making lunch for your kids every single day. And you can walk in your purpose and you'll have a great sense of passion as you do it. Not to say it's easy. Same thing with work. If you know the why, then even though it's hard at work, it will give you a whole new perspective. And that's why I'm convinced that if Christ followers genuinely experience the gospel, I think we'll be more passionate and excited about sharing the story, God's story, to other people. So let me give us the one thing, as I've been doing just throughout the last two sermons, so that we can remember just this one thing that I hopefully, if there's nothing else you remember, it will be this, and it's simply this, that as we grasp, grasp the whole gospel story, we will start to live for God's glory. As we grasp the whole gospel story, we will start to live for God's glory. Let me first give us a context of Second Kings that we read in chapter 7. I want to first look earlier in Second Kings chapter 6. And there are a couple things that we notice. And you have to understand this so the story will become more relevant for us. The first thing that I want you to notice in Second Kings chapter 6 was there was ruin around the whole land. Things were in complete ruin. Now, earlier, you're going to notice that there was a, a siege against the Israelite people. The king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, he was waging war against the Israelite people. And in fact, because of this war, there was such a famine in the land that it caused people to turn to cannibalism. They were eating the kids. They were eating each other because there was no food. So the whole land was completely decimated. Another thing that I want you to notice was that there was not only ruin, but there was rebellion. In the midst of the siege, we notice that Elijah told Joram, who was the king of Israel in the northern kingdom in Samaria, not to surrender to the king of Syria because God was going to deliver them. So once again, it's this trust. Do you trust God in the midst of the things that you're going through in your life rather than trusting in yourself or trusting in other things? And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 33, we see that King Joram decided that he's no longer going to wait for God to act, but instead he takes his, the matters into his own hands. And I think this was the problem with so many of the evil kings in Israel. Instead of obeying God, they rebelled and did what they wanted to do. So this context brings us to chapter 7. And then in verse 1 and 2, is interesting because Elisha gives a prophecy. And he says, in less than 24 hours, Elijah declared that the siege will be over 
and that there would be plenty of food to eat. Now, you've got to try to imagine, there's the ruin all over, there's rebellion going on, and the prophet says that there will be plenty of food. Then one of the captains for the king laughed at this prophecy because he couldn't believe that God would or even could do this. That's when Elijah then replied to the captain, and he says, you will see the miracle with your eyes. But due to your unbelief, he says, you will not experience the blessings of this prophecy. And with this context, we notice there are two things that we have to remember about how we can grasp the whole gospel story so that we can start to live for God's glory. The first thing that I want us to notice in this passage is that we must make a decision. Can you just turn to somebody next year and say, we must make a decision? Go ahead and do that. Will you do that? Let's look at verse 3 and verse 4 in the Word of God. In 2 Kings chapter 7, listen to what the Word of God says. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. It's interesting that in the midst of the siege and the famine, that these four lepers show up in the story. And they are at the entrance of the gate. And now it's important to understand why they're at the entrance of the gate. Let me highlight a couple things for us to understand. First of all, these lepers, what we can conclude were they were disregarded. Because if you know anything about leprosy during the biblical times, you will know that anyone who had leprosy, they were shunned. And they were usually rejected. And they were isolated. And if you think about this, here are these four lepers who couldn't even enter into the city, but they were just at the gate entrance. And as I was thinking about this, I realized in so many ways, we're reminded that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we won't always fit in, but we are called to live our lives in such a way that it will be a witness to others. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12 and the NIV says this, dear friends, once again, massage somebody next to you and say, get ready. And on the yellow, on the yellow. I realized I took it for granted because in our church, they just now do it freely. But uh, we have to kind of warm you up. Okay, are you, are you ready? Tell somebody next to you, are you ready? On the yellow, on the yellow, black and yellow. Anyway, it's, oh, never mind. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. To abstain from sinful desires which wage, uh, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. I think it's amazing how God reminds us that oftentimes living this Christian life, you're going to be disregarded from your colleagues at work or other people. Even in your neighborhood, you might not have the things that other people have because you're trying to live differently with different values. And that's why I think the amazing part about God's heart is for those of us who are marginalized or even outcasts in society, 
he ends up choosing those people to change the world. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, it says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. To really understand, to live a Christ-centered life, you might have to go against the flow. I love how the message translation, this is, this is when I'm like chilling and I want to read a good translation to get me going. Listen to what it says. Take a good look, friends at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best. Can you imagine? You're reading this like, oh, that's, that's me. I'm not that bright. I'm not that great. See, God didn't choose those types of people. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately, that's a key word, chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretenses of the somebodies. What a great reminder for us when we think about sometimes God uses people who are discarded. Another thing that I want you to notice here about these lepers where they were desperate. In the midst of their bad situation, they concluded that their best choice was to head over to the camp of the Syrians. In fact, I thought that was very smart. They really only had three options. Uh, Don't raise your hand, but how many of y'all love options? We love options. In Hong Kong, there are so many options, you get paralyzed. What do you want to eat? Uh, Because there are so many choices and so many places to eat. Sometimes you just wish it was A or B and make it simple. But some of us, we love options. But in this story, they really only had three. And the reasoning went something like this. We can just stay here at the entrance of the gate and just die. We're going to die. There's nothing to eat. And I don't want to eat you. You have leprosy. So uh, that's one option. (laughs) Or they're thinking to themselves, let's go into the city. Forget them. They hate us, but we're going to just barge into the city But then the famine is there, so we're going to die anyway there. So they're like, okay, so that's the second option. And the third option was, let's go to our enemy, to our enemy's camp. And we might die because there's a good possibility. They're like, hark, who goes there, right? And it's like, it's us. And then they kill them. But they said, we might as well just go there because they can kill us or We might actually live. Either way, they were thinking that it would be better to die trying than to just die of starvation by doing nothing. Once again, I'm going to read it to you in the message translation to give us a greater understanding. And once again, there's some yellow going on, you know. Y'all ready for the yellow? If we enter the famine-struck city, we'll die. If we stay here, we'll die. So let's take our chances in the camp of Aram and throw ourselves on their mercy. If they receive us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. We've got nothing 
to lose. Can you imagine in their desperation, they were willing to take some risks. I think the sad part of this story that highlights even in our own lives, I think is that many of us have forgotten about the cost and the risk of following Jesus Christ. That's why in the book of Luke chapter 14, as many of you know so well, let it ring once again in our minds of what Jesus said to those who wanted to follow him. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 33, it says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? If he, for if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone will, who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything has cannot be my disciple. As some of you already probably know, the uh, situation in China, it's getting worse. In fact, uh, some people have said it's kind of like Mao Zedong 2.0 uh, during the Cultural Revolution with uh, the President Xi there. And uh, I had an opportunity to talk to a, a missionary couple. And they've been there for some years, and they're trying to really figure out what to do because they realize that in any moment their visa can be revoked and they can no longer be in China and to continue to train and disciple and to raise up church planners. And as I was with them, they were just sharing different stories. And I was just asking them, how is it now, knowing that everything that's happening in China, are they able to still share the gospel and see people come to Christ? And they said something that was very insightful, and they said this. They said their church is going through a complete makeover, or if you will, a turnover. And during the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, when there was a lot of persecution that was going on, a lot of the church went underground. And some of you know the house churches, the, the churches underground worshiping. And many of them were persecuted. Many of them were killed for believing in Jesus Christ. And then in the 90s, it became a little bit more open. And they kind of turned a blind eye and just kind of allowed the church to grow. And for whatever reason the Chinese people started looking to the West and the American church. And what they saw were these mega churches. Now, I have nothing against mega churches. And I, I think they have a place and they have things that they can do that other churches cannot do. So I, please don't misunderstand me. I have nothing against mega churches. But they started looking to the church in the States and they realized, wow, these churches are big. They have all these facilities. So in their mind, they're thinking, this is the kind of Christianity. So what happened was in the 90s, they began to build churches and became above ground, and they started impacting society in positive ways. And I think that's a great thing. But one of the things that they, come to the real, they came to the realization was this, that when they were sharing Christ, it was no longer talking about counting the cost of following Jesus. 
But they were saying, well, if you become a Christian, he'll help you in your marriage. If you become a Christian, he'll help you in your business, in your work. So as a Chinese person, they're listening to this and they're thinking, because their God is a God of money, God of success, God of prosperity. And so they're thinking, wow, this Jesus Christ is going to give me all these things if I become a Christian. And that's how many of these believers started coming to, that's their testimony. They came to know the Lord just through the prosperity of being a Christian. Now with the persecution that's happening, there are a lot of people who are now falling away from the faith. This is not what I signed up for. I thought God was going to give me prosperity. But now there's persecution. Some of them are going to lose certain things. There's all this social structure that's going on there that's changing radically how a person will live their lives. So now they're saying, you know what? Thank you, but no thank you. You know, Ariana didn't get that, you know. But it's like, no thank you. Some of you don't know. It's okay. This is a thing. I'm just realizing working with college students, I have to keep up with all the cultural norms. But anyway, thank you, but no thank you. And then all of a sudden, these missionaries, they're sharing this. They said, it's a good thing, though. It's purifying the church. To those people who believed Christ for something that they can gain, now they're questioning, like, is he really worthy of following? And then they began to explain about how this one woman that uh, was their Chinese tutor that they spent almost two years with, just getting to know, building relationships. And as she saw their lives, she said, I want to be a Christian. And then knowing what they know, the missionaries, they said, you know what? You understand that this doesn't mean that you're going to be a prosper, uh, uh, in, in prosperity. There might be suffering. You might even be... Uh, completely denied of relationship with people that you know. You might have to let go of certain things. And they just wanted to make sure that she understood the commitment that she's making. And after just constantly just grilling them and uh, grilling her and telling her this is what it means to follow Christ, she finally said, I still want to follow Jesus Christ. And they baptized her. And they were able to now disciple her. And she's now growing in the Lord, even in the midst of the suffering that's about to come. I'm sharing this because oftentimes when, when we're no longer desperate, I think it's so easy to just settle for what's comfortable. But we have to be reminded to follow Jesus Christ means that we might have to give up some things. And we're willing to do that as we make that decision because there is no other Savior that can save us from our sins besides Jesus Christ. Let's continue in the stories, and I'm going to read from verse 5 through 7. As we continue the story, listen to what happens next. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites, the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Let me just pause here and let's look at what's happening. When the lepers finally entered into the camp, risking their lives, knowing that they were gonna, there's a good possibility they would die. 
they found that the enemy was gone. In verse 6, as we have read, we see that God caused the enemy to hear these noises from the north and from the south and made them think that armies were descending upon them. So in their haste and in their fear, they quickly just left and left all the animals, all the supplies, everything there. I want you to look at verse 6 again, the key phrase when it says, for the Lord had made. I think it's amazing how God prepares people and even situations to accomplish his will and his purpose. What are some things that has happened in your life that God has made so you can be where you are today? Uh, Those of you who know, uh, my wife and I, we were at Michigan, University of Michigan. We started the church back in 1996. And after almost... 20 years, we decided to go to Hong Kong. But during those times, uh, 19, 20 years that we were there, we just saw so many groups of people coming in. Every year, there's a new crop of freshmen who will come in and just new working people, new families coming into Ann Arbor. And I just remember some of the early years of our church when we started. And there was a period of time, and this is just something that I know that God was doing, that we started getting a lot of athletes. We started getting a lot of Michigan athletes. And I don't know if some of you know, but our claim to fame is that Tom Brady, because he played for Michigan, he came to our church. But he was like the second uh, string quarterback or whatever the case. And so we really, so this is why whenever you meet somebody, just get their autograph, you know, just just sign here because you just never know. But he came to our church because the third string quarterback, he was a strong Christian, and he ended up trying to witness to all the football team. And I just remember we are in the dental building in this auditorium, and I was preaching. And these guys were about 230 pounds sort of walking. I'm like, something's going on. And then later on, I found out they were a part of the football team. But the amazing part is during that time in our church, we started getting a lot of different athletes. And, and it was amazing because I would talk to some of these guys, and they're like, yeah, I was uh, the state champion in New Jersey for wrestling. Or I was the top runner in track for Michigan. And so they would just share. We're talking about all Americans. These guys are like the top of the top. So they're the best in their state, and they make up all the all-American team. And so they will come in. I, I get really fascinated, like, why are you coming to a church with a Korean-American pastor? I, I always want to kind of figure out what's going on. And there was a similar thread in their story. Uh, the guy who was a wrestler, uh, as he was wrestling, he uh, kind of dislocated his, uh, his joint here in his shoulders. And he p- tore some muscles there. And through that, God used that to help him to come to know Jesus Christ. Because his whole life was based on his identity as what he did. And awards that he won. And the trophies that he gained. Another guy who was on the track team. And he was sharing that uh, he tore a ligament. And through that, he could no longer compete. And he was so depressed because his whole identity was as a track star. And I'm not saying God made that happen. But God even used those things in a person's life so that they could come to know who Jesus Christ is. I'm just wondering for some of us, what are some things that have happened in your life? That maybe God is using so that you can come and say, maybe there is this God who loves me. And it's not always bad things. 
when you think about some of the open doors, the job that you received, it wasn't because on your merits alone. Maybe it was just somehow that person was just falling asleep and they said, oh, this person is good. And then they hired you. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, believe it or not, we had some uh, uh, people who work for the admissions at the University of Michigan. And they're like, yeah, sometimes, you know, you're looking at all the applicants. They all look the same. And, you know, sometimes there might be, I go, please drink some coffee before you look at my son's uh, application. You know, I'm just kidding. But when you think about this, you realize what are some things that he has done that he has made? Has he made a way for you? Has he opened a door for you? Has he... Was he using some of the negative things that have happened to help you to know who Jesus Christ is? Let's continue in this story in verse 8 and 9. Listen to what happens next. And this is the turning point of the story. And it says this. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of what? Everyone say it. Good news. If we are silent and wait till the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Amazing. We notice that at first, the lepers filled their own stomachs with all this food because there was a famine in the land. And they began to pocket and hide some of these treasures so they could retrieve it later. I think this is a general tendency of humankind, which is to always hoard things. Especially when something is free. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? When things are free, we're like, oh, it's free. And then you just take everything. It's just human nature, sinful human nature. And so they're like, wow, food and silver and gold. And so they're eating until their heart is, their heart's content and their stomachs are full. They take the gold and the silver and they hide them. But then they got convicted and realized that it should be a day of good news and not of selfishness. Listen to some of these other translations. The NLT says this. This is a day of good news and we're, we aren't sharing with anyone the new american standard bible says this this day is a day of good news but we are keeping silent the message translation says this is a day of good news and we're making it into a private party i'm wondering how many of us keep silent and we don't share the good news of the gospel to anyone we love to have our own private parties with only those people who are in the in crowd, those people we get along with. But God has called us to proclaim and preach the good news of the gospel with everyone. And I want to challenge us because I think this is one of the biggest struggles of the church. That when we come on the weekends, we, we live a completely different life. And then Monday through Friday, we live a complete different life. And I'm just wondering if God has, in in a gracious but yet sovereign way, placed you in some of those companies and some of those places of work in, in the workplace where that is your mission field. Maybe some of you who are domestic engineers, a.k.a. Uh, moms who stay at home, 
uh, I learned very quickly to call my wife domestic engineer. Now she's working for an international school with special needs kids, but uh, she runs the house, and she, oh, anyway, she, she should be the one getting paid. But uh, when you think about just giving kids rides and doing all this stuff, like, do you see it as your mission field? And pray that your kids will come to know Jesus Christ. And just like what we saw today, which was beautiful, by the way, uh, these high school kids were about to graduate and go to college and uh, getting baptized and the families, the father and the mother being in the pool with them. Uh, it really moved me. It was powerful to pray for them and to be able to love them and so they could trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you know William Booth. He's the founder of Salvation Army. And one time he had a vision. And in this vision, he began to see multitudes of people just enjoying life. But they were enjoying it and they were sinning. Because they were just living this fleshly life. And then in this vision, he saw a violent storm come across. And it began to rain like crazy and flooded the whole earth. And then out of this flood came forth a rock, a mighty rock. And on this rock... There was a platform. Now, it's kind of interesting because as he was describing this, because he had this vision, he saw this vision as he was describing this. He was saying that on this platform, people were finding safety. And listen to what he says that I think is very important. William Booth, he writes this. Just listen, if you will. On looking more closely, I found a number of those who had been rescued, diligently working and using ladders, ropes, and boats, and other means to develop the others out of the sea. Here and there were some who actually jumped into the water, regardless of the consequences in their passion to rescue the perishing. But I don't know which made me happier, the sight of drowning people climbing onto the rocks, reaching a place of safety, or the devotion and self-sacrifice of those who are rescuing others. But what puzzled me most was the fact that though all of them have been rescued at one time or another from the ocean, nearly everyone seemed to have forgotten all about it. Anyway, it seemed the memory of its darkness and danger no longer troubled them at all. And what seemed equally strange and perplexing to me was that these people did not even seem to have any care about the ones who are struggling and drowning right before their very eyes. That was his vision. And so Marcio Plastico did a, a painting called Who Cares? And I want to show you this picture. Well, okay, they showed it already. <laughs> timing, timing, brother, timing. It's okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love you, man. I love you. See, this is when you know that God, he, he, he can work without you, right? You're just like a little ant, just, and God will still work. Well, you, here, here's the picture that I wanted to dramatically time it and show you. But here it is that you have already seen. And I thought it was such a powerful picture if you look at this, because he drew the vision that William Booth was describing. And you could tell from this picture, there are still people in the water, drowning. But what are those people who are already saved? What are they doing? They're just going about their business. 
But then you see some right at the edge. They're still trying to rescue some people onto the platform. And as I saw this, I realized, man, this describes the church today. That so many of us, we were in that water drowning. And by God's grace, we were rescued. Somebody reached out to us. Somebody shared God's love with us so that we're not on the platform. And somehow we have forgotten what our mission is. And it's easy to go through every single day, week after week, month after month, and just live an average life or the American dream. And we forget what our purpose here is here on this earth. It's not just to live a good life and raise good children, have a good family, and then retire and then die and go to heaven. There's got to be something more than that. And I think that's the sad part of the church today all over the world is that we have a bunch of people on the platform enjoying life when all around them in the sea there are people who are struggling to survive and they are drowning and dying. The question is, who will be the ones who will go for it? These lepers realize, here we are starving, but there's all this food and they've forgotten there are people who are starving as well. That's why I love what D.T. Niles said when he says Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. What a great reminder. It's describing our mission. It is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread, the bread of life. How about us? Have we really counted the cost and made the purposeful decision to follow Jesus When was the last time we purposely shared the good news with others? Much time has gone by, so let me quickly close with this. The second point is that we must take, we must make a declaration. So not only make a decision, but make a declaration. Just because of time, let me just summarize uh, verse 10 and 11 and all the way through verse 16. So what happened was that these lepers, after experiencing all this good news, they went and they quickly shared the good news with some of the king's household, those who were in charge. And I I realized there is something powerful about sharing something that you've experienced that's good. Now, uh, how many of you know what tiger sugar bubble tea is? Anybody? Do they have it here in the States? Okay, how many of you know bubble tea? Okay, all all right, okay. Just making sure, okay. Um, But there's bubble tea shops everywhere in Hong Kong. I mean, it was originally founded in Taiwan. It went all over Asia. And there was a time when this place called Tiger Sugar Bubble Tea was really, really popular. In fact, I'm like, what's the hype? What's the big deal about this? And everyone's like, Pastor, you've got to try it. It's so good. Because what they do is they take brown sugar and they kind of, not fry it, but they melt it down. And they put that into the bubble tea, the milk tea. And you can just, it looks like a tiger. The stripes of a tiger, hence tiger sugar bubble tea. So I'm like, what's the big deal? So one of our life groups, our small groups, we decided we're going to go and check out this bubble tea. And let me show you the first picture. This was the line. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I am not waiting on that line. But let me remind you, many of them were college students. They're like, Pastor, we got to wait in line. I'm like. This is what happens when you deal with college students. So I'm like, okay. I mean, this line, this is just part of the line. Okay. Let me just, this is not all of the line. This is just part of the, it went all the way over, like over here. 
I'm looking at the screen, but it went all the way over there. It was long. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to wait in line. They're like, oh, we got to wait. We gotta, it's so good. So I'm like, okay, what's the big deal? So anyway, we waited in line, talked about different things. And all of a sudden, it was our turn. We ordered. And that first initial sip, what they tell you, do not pop the straw in. You first got to turn it over once and wait 10 seconds. Something about 10 seconds. You got to wait 10 seconds. And then flip it back and then pop it in. And we popped the straw in and I took that first sip. I got converted. <laughs> I thought I experienced Jesus all over again. <laughs> it was so good. I'm like, wow. So then I'm now talking about it. Oh my God, tiger sugar. But don't go at this time. Go at a different time. But it is so good. And so here's another picture where this was our life group. And so we took, look how happy everyone is. Like, this is so good. And so as they told this good news, the lepers told this good news, we realized that the king said, you know what? It, might, it must have been a trap. They're making it empty so that we will come out of the city and then they're going to kill us. So the king sent some people to verify the good news. And when they came back, they were convinced that this is what happened. Let me just close. I was going to share a little bit. Well, let me just share really briefly about something that God reminded my wife and I about even trying to take steps of faith as we made a decision and now declaring what he has done, who he is. As some of you know, we uh, went through a long process of going to Hong Kong to leave something that was that stable, uh, just everything, just from my salary to just comfort, just the kids and being rooted in that community. We just felt God was calling us to leave. And I'm going to tell you right now, some of the people are like, wow, you're, you, you guys have so much faith. I'm going to tell you right now, honestly, we were scared out of our minds. And if more than anything else, we didn't really have a lot of faith. We were doubting God. And my wife was doubting me. And she was like, are you sure? Are you crazy? Because there have been a couple other moments where I'm like, it's God, but it wasn't. But anyway, she goes, are you sure? And you ladies, you wives know, right? You're like, oh, my God, there he goes again, right? So like, she's like, are you sure? And so one of the things that happened was okay, we said, okay, let's pray and see what it is that God's doing. And one of the things we came to the conclusion, there were a lot of people from China and Hong Kong coming to our church during that time. And as we began to see these people coming, like, what is it that God is doing? We began to ask ourselves. And then God, one time as I was flying out to Asia, I was in Hong Kong, and he used the in-flight magazine. And some of you might have heard the story before, but he used the in-flight magazine, and that's when the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart. And I want to show you this picture. Uh, do we have the next picture? This was an in-flight magazine, and it was a flight that was flying out of Hong Kong. And I opened it up, and the Holy Spirit said, reach Hong Kong. You're going to reach all of Asia. And it, was, it wasn't an audible voice. It was just something, an impression that I was sensing from God, like, reach Hong Kong, and you're going to be able to reach the rest of this part of the world. And so I just took a picture of it because I really felt that it was the uh, Holy Spirit speaking to me about this. And then I shared it with Christina. And then once we got into Hong Kong, uh, let me show you this picture, next picture, that some of you might have seen. They said that the majority of the world's population is within the circle. 53% of the world's population is within the circle. 
because of China and India. And guess which country and city is right in the center? It's Hong Kong, which I had no clue about after we took that step of faith, but God confirmed that for us. And I'm sharing this because I realized more and more that as he began to lead us, that he made us to pray, to make a decision, and ask us, what is your purpose? As we were thinking through these things and praying through these things, just knowing myself, sometimes God has to, like, knock me over the head. And one of the things that happened was we were at a conference, and this is before we went to Hong Kong. We were at a conference, and in in our car, we saw a, a license plate that said, 2311 or KJV 2311 that was a license plate and as I saw this I'm like oh maybe it's a bible verse ha 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 you know you're kind of like KJV King James version 2311 and we just kind of dismissed it and then I went home we got home and then I was telling Christina about the conference and then we were ready to retire for the night and I think I might have been 20 minutes or so into my sleep and you kind of go into that REM sleep and the Holy Spirit woke me up I literally like sat up and my wife thought I was having a heart attack and I should have said, no woman, I am too young, you know, but anyway, like I literally sat up and I'm, I'm breathing really hard because I felt the Holy Spirit saying, go downstairs and, and look up verses in 23, chapter 23, verse 11. So Christina is like, are you okay? What's going on? And I said, hold on, I, I need to do something. I'll be right back. I went downstairs, I opened up my computer, and then I began to type in chapter 23, verse 11, in every single book in the Bible. So I went through Genesis, I'm like, no, that's not it. I went through Exodus, you know, I just went through it, and then I skipped, uh, skipped over R- Ruth, because there's only four chapters. So I went all the way, and then I landed in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 11, and in the King James Version, and it says this. That you will go to my merchant city and break the strongholds thereof. Hong Kong, the nickname for Hong Kong is the merchant city. So I should have been on my knees worshiping God and say, Lord Jesus, it is you. But what did I do? It's a coincidence. So then I began to look at other passages in the Bible. And then finally I came to Acts chapter 23 verse 11. And this is Paul standing before the governor and explaining his testimony. And the Holy Spirit, God spoke to him and he says this, that you have testified about me in Jerusalem now that you will be my witness in Rome. And as I was reading this, I realized God was revealing to me once again, our logo in our church is a ripple. And I would always share about Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. Back then, Rome and that area was almost to the ends of this earth. So not only from the Isaiah passage, but also from the Acts passage, the Holy Spirit spoke. And I realized this is what God wanted us to do. And we took a step of faith. I want to just challenge us here. Just think about the multitude in Chicago. The millions of people who are in that sea drowning. For us in Hong Kong, it's 7.3 million people. And in China alone, it's 1.4 billion. 
But just think about Chicago alone and the suburbs. Millions of people. My question to you once again is, what is your mission? Not just you individually, but as a church. And I pray the Holy Spirit will remind us, will remind us that as we begin to understand this gospel story, that we will understand that he wants us to live for his glory in all that we do. I think the story is really the gospel story. We are like the lepers. We have been discarded. And we have been desperate due to our sin. But God in his great love rescued us as he gave us the good news by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Now that everything that we do is to declare the greatness of God as we live our lives for him. Can I remind us once again, the one thing is as we grasp the whole gospel story, we will start to live for God's glory. I want to challenge us with some next steps quickly here. Number one, remember our gospel story. Sometimes we've got to go visit the cross again and again. Number two, recommit to God's purpose. We're not just here to just enjoy church, but we're here on a mission. We are literally going out rescuing people by the grace of God. And lastly, reach out to the lost. And I pray that whoever those people are in our lives, may we reach out to them for the glory of God. So can we just stand together and I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to invite uh, one of the pastors to lead us uh, short, in a short prayer time so we could then have our small group and then close out tonight's session. Heavenly Father, just remind us of our why. Why we do what we do. And I know for some of us, we have been going to church most of our lives and it's just a duty and we come Sunday after Sunday. We come to our annual retreat. But I'm praying, God, that you will stir our hearts once again with your mission and your purpose. Lord, salvation and this gospel message is not only for us to be saved and we go to heaven. But God, you call us on a mission. Your mission to able to go forth, to be able to go forth and to proclaim the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that Harvest Community Church will be that kind of church. I thank you for every single person here who's embedded into so many different communities and so many different places of work. Lord, every single day, there are people who are lost without knowing who you are. Thank you that you're calling us to be missionaries to go to those places. It might be a mom's group. It might be in our workplace with our colleagues. It might be in our neighborhoods. Wherever it is, I pray that you will remind us why we do what we do. It's not just to enjoy community. But God, as we enjoy community, we'll be able to invite others to it and be on this journey with us. So Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Do that work in us tonight so that we can respond to you. May we reach out to the lost, to those who are still in the water. I pray that you, being the living water, will refresh us and recharge us for your glory.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.